to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And on this episode, we'll be reviewing a quality Christmas movie. A great Christmas movie, unlike our previous Christmas movies. Now, now, guys, I want to back up. And I know we were a little harsh about uh, both movies we discussed in that, uh, as far as the grading and, and characterization and things. I, I, speaking for myself, not necessarily for Jamie... The, the grade does not reflect the enjoyment necessarily of a movie, uh, especially in that case. I enjoy both movies phenomenally, uh, but I guess the quality of filmmaking, you know, could, could stand a bit, uh, could stand to, to uh, be uh, be boosted up there. And, uh, you know, just, just wanted to throw that out there. I mean, uh, both movies are classics. Both movies are staples at my house anyway, uh, when it comes to the holiday season. And this episode, I... Um, I had actually been a while since seeing this episode. Yeah, and on this one, um, and Dwayne was apologizing a lot over there. I don't feel as bad. <laughs> I, I, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. Um, I, I may have been a little unfair, but those were that was how I felt. Um, and those are not staples at my house. <laughs> we watch Elf and Scrooge every year. Those are our staple Christmas yeah. movies. We, we haven't added uh, Scrooge to the mix, but here recently we have added Elf to the mix. Yeah. Um, Scrooge, man. We, we may have to do that one next oh, year. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's great. It's, we, we it's been a while it since I've seen that as well. But uh, we're not here to talk about Scrooge. We're not here to talk about Elf. We are here to talk about... The best Christmas say. movie of all time. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> But a wonderful Christmas movie, and one that I had kind of honestly lost track of over the years uh, with uh, with all of the sequels and things going on. But what we're talking about is Bruce Willis's action star debut, Die Hard, nineteen eighty eight. Classic, classic. And, and whether you consider it a Christmas movie or not, it is a classic of eighties action movies. I mean, it's. Um, sort of the pinnacle of a genre and the 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 turning point of a genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this movie really uh, showed you what action movies were in the eighties, and really also established where they would be going in the future. Because this movie really did change a few things. Um, and you know, one thing that I wasn't aware of that you had mentioned to me, Jamie, was this movie introduced us to one Alan Rickman. Absolutely. And and what might might still be his most memorable role. Mm. I mean, I love Severus Snape, but yeah. him as Hans Gruber, man, it's just, it's an unforgettable role. You know, he is such a phenomenal character actor and actor, you know, to, to go from Hans Gruber to Severus Snape. And if you ever get a chance to see the, uh, the pick about CBGBs, uh, the, the, dump bar in new york where all of the 80s new wave bands got their start he plays the hick who went to new york i can't picture it and opened the bar (laughs) and i mean you he's unrecognizable as snape or hans gruber or you know some of these other memorable roles you see here that sounds like adam driver and logan lucky i mean really? have you seen that movie Dwayne? i love logan lucky yeah we, i'm we, joking i've actually like three or four the, yeah. times on the show yeah we we need to uh, we need to throw this on the uh, on the list here for the near future but, i mean alan rickman i mean we're jumping way ahead here but yeah. i mean i even liked him in like robin hood prince of thieves mm-hmm. as the sheriff of nottingham with that big 80s hair i mean he was even good in that i mean he's i've never seen him bad at anything i mean he's always been the bad guy but he's never been bad as the bad guy absolutely yeah so jamie let's go ahead and uh, and before we get too far ahead into characters and things uh share with me your opening thought and and maybe a grade of this movie well i mean i, I kind of gave it away a little bit before i just think this is this movie's an absolute classic and and we'll, we'll get to it later time has maybe changed perspectives on it a little bit but it changed an entire genre mm-hmm. i mean before it you know 80s movies action movies had been by and large gigantic muscly guys who like single-handedly went and took down all the bad guys by themselves. And there was never really any doubt. Yeah. And they never, they never come out with a scratch on them. Yeah. Yeah. They they were kind of invincible. And so like, and they, and they offered this movie to those guys. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, Schwarzenegger turned it down. Stallone turned it down. I mean, a whole list of people turned this movie down. Um, but after this movie, it kind of changed who could be an action star. Mm-hmm. He's sort of an every man kind of guy. I mean, do we have Liam Neeson in Taken movies without this movie? 
do we have Keanu in any movie he's ever been in after this movie? Exactly. Um, it sort of changed the expectations of a genre. And I think that no, that's jumping the gun. Um, but I think also we've got a movie that features a lot of great performances, um, more, more depth to the story a lot of that than action movies. Um, you care more about the characters yeah. than I think you do with most action movies. And that's, that's sort of my, that's, I'm going to stop now. Okay. Yeah. I agree entirely. Uh, you know, the things that uh, you were, you were talking about, you, you really see this guy take a beating. Oh, yeah. You really see uh, the struggle. You really see the almost social commentary with the interaction with the news and, and things later on in the movie we'll get to. But it really did uh, change some things with the way movies were made. And, you know, being, you know, in the late eighties, you know, late eighties was a time of white rain and moose, you know, hairspray, big <laughs> hair, giant stuff. And much like we were talking, you know, the, the getting to the character shortly, but you know, Bruce Willis was a comedy actor in moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd before this. See, and that's funny. Cause it, see at my house growing up as a kid, Moonlight was my parents' favorite TV show. Oh, really? Like, it wasn't this strange thing. Like, as, it, see, as your kid, you don't understand. You just, what your kids, what your wife, what your, what your parents think is awesome. It's yeah. just awesome, right? So Bruce Willis was a big deal in my house. Like, oh, we finally get to see Bruce Willis in a movie. Whereas everybody else, they were like, they didn't put his face on the movie pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, not, not at first. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis was not a big deal at the time. So I had a really different perspective on it. Like, Bruce Willis was a big deal. Yeah, this house. movie did establish him as a star. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. He, he was not, like you said, he was not a big deal. And guys, he had hair. <laughs> And it was his own hair. And it was his own hair. Not a <laughs> great deal that I can really talk a lot you know, about that. But, you know, he, he had hair. He was, you know, like you said, the big, muscly action guys. He was just a guy. He was built well. Yeah. He, he was playing in he New was York. Shape. He was playing a New York cop. So you could imagine him being yeah. a New York cop with, with his build. So, I mean, as far as, as grades go, Jamie, um, I mean, is this movie passing or failing on your report card? Um, well, this is well above the passing rate. This is an A plus. An A plus movie for you. I, I mean, for, for, for my money, um, this is as good, about as good as an action movie can be. I'm not, yeah. I don't know if, if you're going to play in this sandbox, I don't know if you're going to do any better than Die Hard. It, it, it does set a high ceiling. It, it really does. I'm going to come just a bit below you, uh, with me and I'm going to give this movie an, an A a good solid middle and a, uh, you know, there, there are better movies. There are movies that are better filmed movies that are better acted, better directed, better edited. Not very many, yeah. but, but you know, there are, but so I'm going to stick with this movie with a solid a, because even revisiting this movie reminded me, Oh, wow. This is a good movie. You know, the, uh, I know you always mention your cell phone test, um, I, I know I mentioned like the, how many times it takes me to get through it test. And this, this was a one set watch for me, even, even very late at night. It was a one, uh, a one set watch. And, uh, you know, I was kind of jazzed up when it was over and didn't get to bed until an hour later, you know, just trying to wind down. Okay, well, let's get on Facebook or, you know, surf, surf YouTube or whatever to, kind of wind down but yeah, it's it's a very enjoyable well, very I, well-paced movie and, we, and we've talked before about how like you know it, it's important to take into account what a thing is trying to be mm-hmm. i mean this is an 80s action movie it's an action movie it's not trying to be like an action sci-fi it's not action horror it's just an action movie yeah it's not even action comedy it's just an action yeah. movie there there are some stressful suspenseful parts yeah. in there there are some that's, that's an important point that we're going to circle back. Yes, to. and there there are some funny parts in yeah. there. Yeah, but it is, an, and I just, it's, it's hard for me to imagine doing a straight action movie, not with other genre stuff getting snuck in. Just a, a pure action movie. It's hard for me to imagine doing better than Die Hard, and that's why I gave it an A plus. Okay, well now now that our grades and opening thoughts are out of the way, Jamie, um, I think we should. Uh, dive into some discussion topics now we're not going to take this as a block by block like we've done in the past just because i don't know that there's a great deal of variety from scene to scene 
Bruce, oh, look, Bruce Willis is bleeding more. Bruce Willis is in a situation. <laughs> he gets out of it. The Barely, terrorists are in a situation and, he, and they get out of it, you know, in, until the end. Yeah, um, I mean, some movies are better served by a walkthrough than others. Yeah. So uh, let's look at some of the strengths and weaknesses of this movie. Let's start off with the characters. Um, I think we have down here. So uh, as we've already talked about, Bruce Willis's character, uh, John McClane. Uh, would you like to start off with I mean, your I, thoughts on him? I mean, I, th- I think it's the, it's the, it's, he's, he's the crux of the story because mm-hmm. the whole thing is set up because he was a stubborn jerk. Um, wouldn't move with his wife to the West coast. Wouldn't apologize to her. Um, as soon as he gets there, like she's, she's trying to be nice. John, I missed you. And he's like, yeah, I missed me so much. You changed. You went back to using your maiden name, huh? Yeah. So right off the bat, like she's trying to play nice. Always saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And it sets up the whole story. Yeah. And um and it's just and he's a really memorable character. I mean, there's a reason they've made so many sequels. We yeah. may want to mention that maybe they those shouldn't exist, but um, <laughs> but Bruce R- Willis really uh, characterized the New York attitude um, and the stubbornness of the '80s uh, with with that character and just you know the die hard. You know, he's not going down easy. He's you know going to do what he needs to do. And what's, and what's funny is like the name of the movie is one of the most macho movie titles ever die hard, you know, <laughs> but John McClane's not that guy. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's just a guy doing his best, getting his head kicked in, but you know, he's, he's just doing what needs to be done. And he spends a big chunk of this movie hiding, you know, but we still care about the guy. But and again, Jamie, he's taking the beating. You know, he's he's getting beat up and he's still continuing and carrying on. Yeah, but he's he's like he's a he's a he's a clearly a capable masculine dude, but he's not like this over the top macho kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Which is so especially at this time was really, really rare. out there, yeah. And so I mean I just I think that made this movie and that character even more memorable. Yeah. And and yeah, you mentioned him not being a macho guy, and I guess this is the turning point, you know, of the eighties into the nineties, you know, guys trying to get in touch with their emotions you know we go from you know john wayne to bruce willis essentially you know and then opens the door for kevin costner yeah and keanu reeves and like other, other kinds of actors to be in these movies mm-hmm. yeah a- another character i want to bring forward uh really uh i knew was in this movie but i forgot just how great he was was uh, mr winslow absolutely i'd forgotten how good he was and it's not just that it's like funny that Urkel's neighbors in this movie. I mean, it's, he's actually really good. He's, he's really a memorable. really great character. And his situation being a desk cop after being a beat cop. Yeah. And that, and the emotional payoff at the end. Yeah. Once you find out what caused that, um, you know, I guess we're to the spoiler part of the movie, but you find out he, he shot a kid yeah. who, who had a, a, a water gun or a toy gun he thought was a real gun. And I remember that being a thing in the eighties, yeah. you know, completely, you know, you would go down to the department store and buy a toy gun and all at once they started having bright orange or, or green fluorescent uh, markings on them to denote that they're not a real gun because you're having inner city violence and you're having kids out playing with guns and cops being trained to react, respond, you know, the horrible, awful situation of, you know, that occurrence, you know, and, and like you said, the payoff at the end, and we'll get there shortly. Uh, you know, once you find out what his deal was, but he is like, I know this guy is legit. I know there's something going on, and Mr. Breakfast Club, you'll get the you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Uh, you know, is uh, is the, the deputy of police, and I mean, and he just continues being the jerk that that you meet from the Breakfast Club. I forget the character's name, I can't but, but uh, you know, he's just the jerk. You know, he was a jerk in a lot of eighties movies. <laughs> this is, there's actually there's a couple of those guys. I yeah. mean, the um, the the reporter was a jerk in a bunch of eighties action movies. <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a couple of those guys in here, but I mean, also I just really liked that. Um, I forgot his name. Reginald, Reginald Val yeah. Johnson, Val Johnson, Val Johnson, yeah. Um, Mr. That, but that that connection he made with McLean, with, mm-hmm. with Bruce Willis's character, and it was a, it was it was real, and you could feel, it, and you could see see them bonding and you know getting each other, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to throw a dead body onto the hood of someone's <laughs> car, you better be sure they've got your back. Yeah. Yeah, you better be sure you're kind of got a bond there. It helps. It speeds up the process. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, other characters in this movie, I mean, you know, his you, you have his wife, 
Yeah, Bonnie Bedelia um, played Holly. Okay, yeah, that lady. Uh, I mean, she she was really good in this. Really great. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, it's just a lot of great performances. Um, I love the. Uh, I, I love the understated attitude she gave. To yeah, Alan Rickman. I, it was it was kind of a subtle performance. But it was really good. Real, yeah, you could kind of see her as the lady climbing the ladder and not taking any crap. Yeah, you know, along the way. I mean, you know, you find out she's pretty high up. She's essentially second in in, uh, in command of the uh, business there after uh, the uh, the Asian gentleman. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Takagi. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are not There's some names we're going to struggle with. Yeah, here. we're we're not linguists, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the characterization. I mean, they really nailed it all across the board, and especially my favorite in this whole movie. I think I had some socks with his brand, Argyle. Argyle, great. The limo driver that that we meet. Uh, you know, when Bruce Willis is coming from the uh, coming from the plane he's he's disembarking from the plane and and they send a limo to pick him up to take him to the christmas party and and this kid's like standing there just looking kind of clueless with the sign and he's like are you you know the limo guy and he's like yeah he's like what do i do he's like, i don't know i've never driven a limo he's like what do i do he's like i don't know i've never ridden in a limo so he's up front with him chilling out there talking you know and he's telling me about his his wife problems and he's like you know you, you let me know how it goes yeah that was I'll, a cool moment. I'll go down here to the bottom and chill in the parking garage, and you just let me know how it goes. And and if it's good, you call. Let me know if it's bad. You let me know. You can come and crash. And if you think about how the plot works, Argyle kind of he kind of saved the day. The day. They were going to get away with a bunch of that money in that ambulance if he doesn't crash it. I mean, Argyle he, he's an important. He's got an important role. To very play important here. role. Yeah. yeah, very important. I love role. that hero moment he had. It was great. Yeah, it, he he was well deserved of it. Yeah, well deserved of that hero moment. He's just one of those was one of those guys with a small role that you mm-hmm. just fall in love with and just love for them to get to do cool stuff. You yeah, know? You just it not it doesn't, have, doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have to be great. Something fun. Phenomenal. You just like one of those characters. That he's he just a normal guy who gets put in a situation and he comes through. Yeah. Yeah, and and that was just so beautiful and great for his character as as you really fell in love with him. What did you think about the uh about the terrorist squad, the the all the goons? That was a lot of hair. There was a lot of 80s hair going on <laughs> there. And I'm going to tell you, I went to IMDb. I paused the movie, pulled out the computer, went to IMDb and said, "Okay, the guy they leave at the desk has to be Huey Lewis." I thought it looked, it looked like Huey Lewis on droids. I mean, and then and then you go to the other guys. The the, the one guy with the long red hair was Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. I'm not, a little bit more tan, and you had. I was thinking Def Leppard. Uh, that was that was more the well, vibe. There, I got. there was some Def Leppard guys on there yeah. as well, you know. But all of this '80s hair, ponytails, the the the, the moose, the the volume, you know, they they had some VO5. <laughs> Going on, you know, with with the shampoo and conditioner. I don't know if it was a leave-in. There's a lot of problems. But you know, somebody was doing some sun in. You seen they were spraying some sun in and leaving it out there. When it it was, yeah, there was some product going on. But now, I mean, totally, just just this movie is an era. Yeah, you know, it it really captures. I didn't have to look up on IMDb to see when this movie was made. No, no, no. You knew. Okay, this this is happening. Eighty-seven to eighty-nine. And 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 this is this is the pocket, yeah. I think we mentioned '88, and it's exactly actually when it came out. But yeah, you've got that pocket, and his movie is in the pocket, yeah. But but we haven't mentioned maybe the most memorable character in the whole movie. Yet. Well, that's what I'm that's what I'm holding off for. Okay. I mean, because I'm saving the best for last. Because but, well, if we're, you've sa- got... we're saving him, there's one guy I do want to mention. Okay, who else? We got? Carl. Carl, the, the the hair metal guy with the really long blonde hair, he's like super menacing. He was the tough, yeah. yeah. He was the, he was the big bad. And I, I listened to an interview this week with the two the two main screenwriters, oh. and they had written all these lines for the for that character, and it's like he had like a ton of dialogue, and the character and the actor showed up and was like, I don't want to do all this. They're like, why? He's like, hold on, and he just went across the room and walked back to them in a menacing fashion, and they're like, he just like, I just want to be menacing. They're like. Okay, all okay. your dialogue's gone. You you are menacing. Yeah. So he, his whole idea for the role was to be a physical presence, and he he pulls it off. He nailed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he nailed it. He really was. And I love the setup when they find the first dead body. Like it's Carl's brother. Are you gonna tell him? <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then he's just like, nobody gets to kill him but me. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, he really set out on a vendetta. And, and that scene mission. on the roof where he's doing that menacing walk, holding the gun all weird like, and mm-hmm. then like that slow state. Like, there's gunfire all around him, you know. And he does that slow walk to where McLean is. You know, it's a, it's a it's a real sort of powerful moment. Oh, very much, very very much. So yeah, he really was. But you know, we're we're here to talk about the breakout performance, the the debut premiere of one Alan Rickman. I mean, I, I hate that the actor has passed on, but I mean, he left us with so many great roles, and this one, you know, really setting the standard for him. Yeah, I don't know anything about his private life, but as far as his professional life goes, I mean, he's left a pretty great legacy. Yeah, and and that's really all I care about, too. I mean, he has left us a legacy, and I mean, and to come out as the mastermind behind this, I mean, you see him cold, calculating. He's in control probably 90% of this movie. Yeah, and I, and I like the performance too because there's some some subtle stuff that goes on, like where he like there's moments where he's like really menacing and scary, mm-hmm. and then there's that scene where Ellis comes in to try to talk to him, and he, like, oh, he tries yeah. to act like he's being won over, like yeah, you're oh, being yeah, really yeah, reasonable. It's great. It was just it's just a great performance, and um, there's and he gets he gets a lot of the good lines too. I mean, it's just I just I, I love Hans Gruber. I mean, it's it's a it's a unforgettable performance yeah hans uh you know as as bad guys go he is uh, up there on the top and you know rickman's performance in that role really established this movie and showed you know how far a movie like this can go and what's amazing too this this was his first movie role like he'd always been a stage performer. Yeah, I know you before. told me he was always yeah Shakespearean stage, yeah. Uh, you know British plays. But yeah, I mean, just taken off phenomenally. Uh, so now we've got our characters. You know, I know we've kind of brushed over it, but the story of of this. I mean, where how how would you break down this story? Well, I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a heist movie on the surface. But it's also a Christmas movie, Jamie. Well, yeah, hold on. We, we may get to that in a minute. We may have to have the Christmas argument later. Um, but on the surface, it's, it's a pretty simple story. Yeah. A bunch of dudes from Europe want to come to America and steal a bunch of money from a Japanese corporation. While a guy's trying to make up with his wife. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the, on the surface, that's the, that's the pretty simple story. It's a heist disguised as terrorism. Mm-hmm. But it's done in such a oh, – there's some, some of these subtle things going on there. Like you're talking about the family angle. I mean, there's a – I mean – this is a for an, for an action movie. This is a pretty it's a deep movie pretty, with a lot of layers. Yeah, with the with the whole relationship uh, had broken down, and you see it starting to show signs of healing, and the bridges starting to be made. And Bruce Willis, you know, you find out he's that's why how he winds up shirtless and shoeless through the movie. You know, he's stressed about messing up. Yeah. You know already, and you know he's he's trying to get de-stressed from the plane. So the guy tells him, "Take your shoes off, make make fists with your toes in the carpet," and and he's doing that when these guys break yeah. in and uh, and start taking over. And you know it also has a narrative underlining uh, with the, uh, I guess how jaded uh, we thought the city police were at the time. How they're not taking these calls serious. They're just like, whatever. And then the one guy thinks he's got everything under control. And then the FBI comes in and they're kind of clueless, but they're just running the playbook. The one guy thinks he's still inside gone. The other guy's (laughs) like, what are you talking about guy? You know? And, um, the media, I remember also they're not portrayed very well. Well, I remember also back in the, in the eighties and even, you know, through to today, you know, that kind of, if it bleeds, it leads mentality. You know, you find me the most horrible thing first at six. Uh, You know, you find uh, something awful. Okay. Here's these people in this horrible situation. What do they do? They run and grab the family. How do you feel? You may never see your mom and dad again. Oh my goodness. You know, we, we live in a, uh, we live in an area where there's a lot of um, coal mining industry. There's a, and guys, you know, that's a hard, dangerous job. When incidents happen, I've spoken to people, when incidents happen and they go to lockdown nowadays, they're not even allowed, say, I'm out safe 
and you're still under. I'm not allowed to call my family to let them know that I'm okay mm-hmm. because they could talk to somebody and say, well, maybe Jamie's not okay. And that clues your family out. And then you've got all this other reaction. I mean, so, you know, just the emotions and, you know, who wants to find out from a reporter or over television that a family member is in this kind of a situation, uh, you know, and I know what I just laid out there is kind of a horrible yeah. thing, but you know, but, but, but it's not just the reporters. I mean, the FBI guys, the FBI guys are, are jerks. The, they're, they're knuckleheads. With the exception of uh, Mr. Winslow, the city cops are all, I mean, kind of clueless. Yeah. Um, the, the, the people in the, um, the call center, pretty heartless. I mean, mm. at the end of that phone call, it's broken up by gunfire and they're like, ah, we'll send a cruiser by. Yeah. Somebody go, somebody to do a drive by and just take a look around. Yeah. How, how annoyed was she that that gunfire was in her ear? Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> you know, but, but there's, I mean, for like, you think about most eighties action movies, they're pretty simple. Something bad happens to a dude, he gets revenge or yeah. he gets dropped into a war zone or just, it's pretty simple and straightforward, but there's, there's a lot more going on here with than that. The whole storyline with uh, Mr. Winslow. I wish I could remember his character's name. It's something Johnson. Because there's a, all, a bunch of dudes named Johnson in this movie. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so like, the, the whole storyline with him and his background and his relationship with, with uh, Bruce Willis. That doesn't happen in a lot of 80s movies. The whole <laughs> setup with the, his marriage being in trouble. The, um, with Argyle. I mean, how many, how many 80s action movies had that small character have that kind of role? You know, it just it wasn't common. And I think it made the story... Uh, more powerful and richer than most of the movies that went before it. And I think it changed the expectations for what we expect. So like we get point break later where that relationship between, you know, Keanu and who was that? Was it Gary Busey? Yeah. Yeah. And Gary Busey. I mean that, that relationship being really important in that movie and the, the personal connection between him and Patrick Swayze in that movie. I mean, Mm -hmm. those, those weren't the kind of things that were happening in action movies before the story we get in Die Hard. So it's kind of a different, thing you know it's a, a different kind of story than we were getting before yeah it really uh, establishes a change and i guess this could go to legacy yeah that, that we uh, are looking at that the type of movie you could make yeah. the type of uh, things you can do in an action movie and what us viewers expect from an action movie the expectations change sergeant al Powell. That's right. Yeah. I thought he was a. There's a third cop now named the, Johnson uh, in this movie. I'm trying the, to remember. The two FBI guys. They're both named Johnson. Were Johnson and Johnson. You had Big Johnson and Little Johnson. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul Gleason, who is the uh, the uh, jerk from uh, The Breakfast Club, is Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson, which he speaks of ad nauseum. I love they threw uh, the T in all the time. It, like how how pompous of a jerk do you have to be to throw your middle initial in all the in time? All the time, yeah. But those are just some of the notable notable but names. Before in this we movie. move on, I wanted to say one more thing about not so much the story, but the storytelling. Okay. And they did it. Um, I mean, Mick Tiernan directed it, so it's. I mean, he's got he's a as far as action movie directors go. I mean, it's hard to beat Mick Tiernan. I know he's had some controversial stuff happen later in his life, but I mean, if he was made to direct. You know, an action movie. It's hard to beat McTiernan. Mm. But um, there's such economy of storytelling. Like like the opening scene. When when you when you see Holly in her office, you learn so much. You find out quick who these guys are. Yeah, like like the, the little subtle scene where you see her with um with her husband and her kids in the picture, and she lays the picture face down. You're like, Oh, oh there's yeah. problems here. But she's kinda of, she's rebuffed Ellis, but you know, not as hard as maybe you'd like to your wife to shut down some dude right. hit on her, you know. And so there's there's trouble in paradise that we also get that she's got power in that mm-hmm. situation that she that he, he she's you know his superior. So we learn so much there, and then in that quick debate that she has with 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 her husband, we learn so much about their relationship, the nature of their marriage, the nature of who they are. They're both they can fly off the handle really quick, you know, and they're yeah. both stubborn people. I mean, there's so much happens and just. A few minutes. Yeah, it is very expertly laid out who is who and how the relationships go. Very, uh, like, uh, economy of storytelling. You know, very efficiently you find out and and you understand what's happening without 
you know, Morpheus having to come in and explain <laughs> to you everything. <laughs> I love it. I mean, if you're going to, like you said, if you're going to do exposition, who better? If you've got Lawrence Fishburne, you can just let him talk at the camera. But when you don't have Lawrence Fishburne, you have to. You hire John McTiernan. Ha- you have to have your characters well yeah. defined. Yeah, you have to have your story laid out well. Yeah, uh, totally. And uh, that's that's wonderful. You know, um, about the characters, uh, you mentioned Alice. And I know uh, that Bruce Willis is playing a cop in this movie, but you kind of see Ellis in the uh, office when Bruce Willis is coming in and, and he's hitting a little, you know, he's hitting a little coke there, you know, he's kind of, you know, and uh, and I know Bruce Willis kind of busted him at that, but be, being a cop and out of his jurisdiction and trying to be a cool guy for his wife, but I could just see in Bruce Willis's eyes, man, give me, give me a hit of that, you know. <laughs> You know, this this being an eighties movie. <laughs> well, he was an actor in the eighties. I'm not was, casting any aspersions no, here. No, all, no. But no accusations, but exactly a, lo- a lot of coke was snorted. A lot of coke Hollywood was snorted in the eighties. Yes, but we want to get to the action next. And I didn't have a lot that I wanted to say here, but I did want to make one quick point. And then I'll let you say all you want. Okay. This was a radical change from previous eighties action movies. Mm-hmm. They did not. Get, the heroes did not get beat up like this. No. Arnold was never pulling glass out of his feet. Mm-mm. And when they offered this movie to Stallone, this is why he refused to be in this movie. It just, he did not want to be the kind of hero that was, it was getting beat up. And he, so that's why Stallone was not John McClane. Yeah. All of your, all of your seventies and eighties action heroes were kind of Superman. They were kind of invincible. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. think about the, the whole storyline of commando is this big group of people kidnap his daughter and one dude goes, I'm going to come and kill you all. I mean, John McClane spends most of this movie hiding. He's trying to hide and call nine one one. That's at least half of this movie. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, you could you know, most most of the eighties action guys, you could never see them being this kind of. Thing. The rest of the time, he's doing what he can. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to signal the FBI. He's trying to stop the FBI from being stupid, or he's trying to help other people do mm-hmm. stuff. It's not until he's forced to do it that he does it on his own. Yeah, and yeah, like you said, the the action is kind of a departure because of the abuse that our hero takes. Where in the past, our heroes have always been invincible. Uh, but I mean, but as far as an action movie, I mean, this is one of the best. I don't know how many clips or how many bullets those clips hold, <laughs> but I mean, we we need some of those. To, to send to war and, and he may guys. have had a few stormtroopers shooting at him. I you mean, know, he should have been hit a few more times. Yeah, and you know, you have the wild gunfire. You know, and <laughs> we're, we're, we're three feet away. I I empty a clip and I still don't hit you. How that dude on the table didn't hit him? I I don't understand. Really? Yeah, that was uh, you know, but yeah, the setups. I mean, some of the things of him sneaking around and and seeing uh, you know them off Takagi. Um, I'm going to count to three. Bang. You know, um, the, yeah, the chasing him when he's under the table, the guy's walking along the top of the table, just, just blasting. And you're like, okay, I know that wood is not deflecting these bullets. And uh, he still makes it out. You know, there's there's some kind of absurd stuff in there you got to buy into, but I loved when. But for an eighties action movie, this is pretty subtle stuff though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, totally. But I love when, you know, like you said, he's, they've, they've got him pinned in the cubicle. Of glass, and Alan Rickman notices he doesn't have any shoes on. Yeah, shoot the windows out. Like what? Shoot the windows out. Oh God! I mean, even for a bad guy, that gives me God. That gives me a ting of pain right now, even as we speak. But yeah, just thinking about that and and to see the which was funny if you remember earlier. Um. Al Powell, we know his name now, had made a, made a joke about, I made a complaint about all the glass falling on the cops below. And, mm-hmm. and John McClane says, who cares about some glass? And then later on, he, <laughs> he learns, he learns he you care about, about the glass. glass. <laughs> you definitely care about the glass. But that, but that next scene where he's pulling the glass oh, out of his God, foot. That, oh. was, that was gruesome. It was that was brutal. At. Yeah, that was yeah. brutal. I was, I was cringing and wiggling in my seat. Yeah. But now the action, I mean, you've got the, the awesome gunfights. You have fist fights, karate, you know, moves going on in here. The, um, the top of the building explodes. The top and of the he building. jumps off with a fire hose wrapped around him. I mean, how... How much more awesome can you be? But yeah, that's that. You know, this is an action movie 
watch it, enjoy it, have a blast. But as we were speaking about the legacy, you know, of how this changed our, our view of action heroes, how this changed what you could include yeah. story-wise in an action movie. You know, it really brought a shift, you know, for our future heroes. Like you said, it opened the door completely for, you know, Kevin Costner, Russell Crowe, yeah. uh, you know, Keanu, you know, our hero here, um, you don't have these guys with these struggles. You know, you don't necessarily maybe even have Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Yeah. You know, because you can see his struggle in Iron Man 1. Well, I, I think we did this off the air. But I think before we were we were doing our, I guess if we were being fans, we call it a pre-show meeting. <laughs> but I think you gave the best example um, of, of how this changed, who can be cast in these movies. Yeah. Um, before um, this movie happened, there is no way you take Ted Theodore Logan and cast him in Point Break. Exactly. There is no chance that Keanu can jump straight from that kind of silly role to mm-hmm. being the action star of Point Break. That does not happen without Die Hard. Yes, and when you look at Bruce Willis's performance in this, you need to keep in mind Moonlighting. <laughs> you yeah. know, this, this was before The Fifth Element. This was before, you know, some of his other, you know, and I'm, I'm blanking on a lot of his Well, he became movies. an action star after this. I mean, yeah, he was totally action star from here on out. Yeah. yeah he had very, very few. I mean, I think he had a couple dramatic turns. Our last Boy Scout was but after very this. few, yeah. you know, Red, co- comedic I mean, One after another. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, you're fine. I was just trying to think of some of his, some of his other I roles. I just kept seeing movie posters popping in my head of all yeah. the action movies that the he's whole, been in since. The whole nine yards. I mean, he's yeah. got the comedy in there, but he's still an assassin. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, so the uh, the, the, the turn that this. But I think I, I, I do think it changed expectations, though. We expected more. We expected a more of like a realistic type hero. We expected more from the story. We it couldn't just be like something bad happens and then a gigantic dude goes and kills a bunch of people. Yeah. We expected more from the story now because of Die Hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at Rambo First Blood. I mean, he takes out an entire community of cops. Yeah. And what does he have to do? He has to stitch up one little place on his arm. <laughs> you know, they, they drew First Blood, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it really... You know, these guys were invincible. Now it shows their humanness, you know, yeah. and not only can an action movie be blow them up, kill everybody, stressful explosions, an action movie can also have some heart. It yeah. can have a bit of comedy and it. it can have, you know, some some intelligence. And it also. wasn't just one-liners anymore. Like, like, Die Hard is actually funny. It's a funny oh movie. And it's not just gosh. like stabbing a guy on a wall and telling him to stick around. Like, I there's actual forgot. Yeah, I had forgot the quotableness yeah. of this movie. I mean, quotes I even use, and I know we can't really say a lot of them, but quotes <laughs> I have used in the past. Yeah, we're, we're trying to avoid the E rating on our I – mean, we're, we're trying to stick with the E rating. Yeah, yeah, we want to stay well, family friendly here, guys. Does Amy and everyone are explicit? I'm, I just blanked. <laughs> We want to we want to be E for everyone. There we go. Not E, e, not for, explicit. e for explicit. Yeah, we want to <laughs> we want to have the video game E rating, not the yeah. uh, podcast E rating. Go. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, um, yeah, the the quotes in this movie. I mean, Bruce Willis was breaking off the the one liners, and even Alan Rickman and Reginald Vell Johnson. I mean, they were all just so witty and yeah. smart guys. Yeah. Okay, Dwayne, we've gushed a lot. Do you have any complaints or criticisms of Die Hard? Really? Honestly, my complaints are, I don't know right off. I mean, really, and like I said, it's been a while since I'd seen the movie, and I'd seen it just a few days ago. It's still very positive and fresh in my mind. You know, I, I know uh, I had, you know, spoke about it earlier, you know, only giving it an A and seven, A plus, you know, and that, it's not the best written movie. It's not a life changing movie. I mean, and movies shouldn't necessarily need to be or have to be, you know, I want to sit and watch a movie and enjoy it. If it moves me deeply, we'll address that when it gets there. But um, I, I ingest movies for enjoyment. Well, I've got two nitpicks. And one gaping plot hole that makes me angry. Okay, well, let's go to picking nits. Okay, the locks don't make any sense. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the locks either. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, yeah. Some of the computer stuff, and and I kind of understand it too. But some of the computer stuff that they were trying to do, and some of that set up with them kind of trying to bypass certain lines, yeah. and then the guy comes in and just takes it a make takes sense. a chainsaw. But yeah, like, it just doesn't quite. I thought yeah. I listened to the uh, the screenwriters being interviewed. Okay, and they even admitted it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and he, and he kept, he's, I kept waiting for somebody to point out that it didn't make any sense, and they just let it go back. It's like I just needed the whole thing to get drug out longer. Yeah. It's like somebody there'd be seven locks and you have to unlock them different ways. It was just to drag the plot out. Mm. It, it never made any sense. He knew when he wrote it, it didn't make any sense. But the thing is, when the power got cut, all the locks opened. Yeah. So why fool with the why real? Fool with yeah. the- <laughs> uh, okay, my second nitpick is there is no way John McClane knew that Hans Gruber wasn't Bill Clay. There's no way. How did he know that he was one of the terrorists? I don't think he did. Then why did he hand him an empty gun? The whole the assumption is there that he knew the whole time, or he wouldn't have handed him an empty gun. It's actually a plot hole. They had they had yeah. to do some editing. Um, there was the, see the terrorists were also wearing matching wa- watches that we see early in the movie. We see them sync up the watches, and as he's killing them, there's actually several cutscenes where he's pointing out that he knows that the, that they're all working together because they're wearing the same watch. Oh. and they cut a scene, the very first scene when Holmes Gruber's on the floor and he looks down, John McClane sees his watch. But because they cut the thing out earlier in the movie, they had to cut that too. And so there's no way he could have known. But we just roll with it because Bruce Willis is awesome and so is uh, Alderick. Alderick. Yeah. So we just roll with it. Yes, I, I just – I took that as a – him just being a, a very careful person and not trusting anyone. Yeah, not not opening that door. Uh, it's why he gave him the empty gun. He And he didn't know necessarily who was the good guys and who was the bad guys. But now you think about it too. He could have possibly seen him because nope. he was looking through the door a few times at him. Did he not? No, he never, he never got around the corner. He never made. To see him. And, okay. and the screenwriters talked about this too, in the same interview. Like it's okay. like, they didn't know it annoys them. They had to cut it the way they did because the reason they had to cut it this way is that the whole idea with the ambulance being how they were going to sneak out in the end. Yeah. The scene where they synced up their watches was in front of the, the open truck, and there was no ambulance in the truck when they shot it. So they had to cut that scene out because it would have shown there was no ambulance in the back of that van. Oh. So they had to cut it out. So then they had to cut all the scenes with the watches. And so then it just leaves, you know, Bruce Willis is super caught and knows right off the bat. And knows right off the bat. That he's not Bill Clay. <laughs> but, so I've got my one, big, my, my one big hole that makes me angry. Okay. It's, I, it almost knocked it from an A+. Plus. It's still, for me, my favorite action, one of my favorite action movies of all time. Mm-hmm. But it knocks – it's a big hole, and it frustrates me. Carl was dead. Bruce Willis hung him from a chain. He's hanging from that chain for a long time. When the, when the people from the Nakatomi building run past there, he's hanging from the chain. They see him, and they scream. And at the end of the movie, he pops up and has to get killed again? Well, that kind of took me out of the movie also. Yeah. Until Carl Winslow had his redeeming moment. He could have killed a different terrorist. It didn't have to be Carl. Right. But, I mean, I guess that was a trope <laughs> in the 80s also. I mean, you always had the guy coming back. Yeah. You always had the guy coming back. But, yeah, I it that was one of the things that really took me out of the movie. You know, and I guess looking back at that, that would be probably one of my – one of my few complaints with this yeah. movie. Carl was that dead. that return, yeah. And when he hung him up there, I was like, okay, whew, that's out of the way. What would have been, I think, would have been even better is have like Hans Gruber have landed on something soft. Now and Rickman pop up mm-hmm. with a gun and get that, shot by. Yeah, that that Zick would have Powell. been that would have been better. Even even if he was pretty mangled and yeah. messed up, you know, but had him have him had landed on on you know one of the you know canvas tops yeah. to to one of the transport vehicles or something but yeah when carl come through and and it, it kind of is like really this guy again yeah. we dealt with this you know all, and he was clearly dead twice already yeah i mean you he know, was hanging from that chain for a long and time. not There's only no way he was alive. not only hanging from the chain but you see the regular the explosion yeah done on the rest of the building there's no and he's right there at the open stairway yeah yeah that 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 really pulled me out of it too so, so I know you want to take a break here. We've got to, we've even in the show notes to take a break here. But okay. I want to ask you one question. Okay. Before we move on, let's move it. How do you think it's aged? I think it's aged very well. Um, I think it's aged very well uh, as far as an action movie goes, even with the hairstyles 
and the clothing styles. Um, I, I think it's aged very well as an action movie. I mean, I entirely enjoyed it. Um, you know, of course, being a child of the eighties, I look back at these things with nostalgia, but I mean, I had forgotten a lot of little plot movements in the movie. Um, and I, it, it captured me. And like I said, you know, I, Wash it in one go through. I didn't have to take a break and go back the next day or, or go do something and then revisit it. You know, sit down, start it up, and I'm like, okay, you know, let's see where this goes. And I thought it aged very, very well uh, for, for a movie, especially from 88, with a lot of uh, changing uh, things from from action movies. And I guess that's why... It aged so well because it did not stick to the main action tropes. It was a little bit deeper. The story was a little bit better. You had some character development. You had a couple things stuck in the pocket there with, you know, with the limo, you know, yeah. kind of in wait almost to take out the ambulance. And then you see the reaction of Argyle when he sees, you know, what's happening on the news and he's down there trying to mack on his girl on the car phone, you know, and uh, it was just a fun, fun watch. I, I do. Th- I see. I think for us, we saw it when it was new and yeah. fresh, and when it changed the paradigm. I think if somebody watched Die Hard today for the first time, mm-hmm. I don't think they have the same response that we do, hmm. because it's been copied so much, and the things it changed are just what mo- action movies are now. So I, I think it wouldn't like that. We think of it as a groundbreaking thing. Where, it, where I think today it might just feel like another run of the mill action movie. I, I'm, I'm afraid that, that somebody coming to it fresh would feel that way. Okay, guys, if if you haven't seen Die Hard yet and you're this far into our discussion, go and watch it. Or if you see the title of this episode and decide to watch it, shoot us a message and let us know what, what you think. Or even if you've seen Die Hard later on in years, um, after have seen some of the movies that it influenced through the, through the 90s and early 2000s, uh, let us know what you think. I Jamie says very interesting, and I'm I am too very interested to uh, to hear uh, a take on this movie after someone who uh, has already experienced a lot of the changes that this movie has made in action movies. I would be curious about those responses. That sounds great. So let's take a, a quick break here, and we'll come back with some awards and our Keanu connection. Welcome back to Nerds of the Round Table as we get into our awards section for this greatest of Christmas movies. So, Jamie, our awards. I'm going to throw this to you because I think there's a right answer. Who's the best character? Okay, I want to give a runners-up before I say what the right answer is. Because there is a right answer. Yes. I want to highlight Reginald Vale Johnson. Or Val Johnson. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. Mr. Winslow. Mr. Winslow. This guy was most famous for being Urkel's neighbor. He's really good in this movie. He's a really great actor. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten that he could really act. There are some guys with some chops in this movie. Yeah, there I really mean, is. And, and not just you know Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, and uh, you know Mr. Winslow. I mean, you, you've got some great actors across the board. I mean, everybody in here really, yeah. really knew their role. Yeah. Yeah. But the right answer is Alan Rickman. The right answer is Alan Rickman. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bruce Willis is John McClane. I mean, he is John McClane. I mean, but the breakout performance by far. Alan Rickman stole this movie. Alan Rickman stole this movie, yeah. yes. And he established himself as the bad guy supreme. Yeah. And, and, and a top-notch character actor. Okay, yeah. our next award is Best Scene. And I know what the right answer is. I'm going to let you go first, and I'm going to test you. Best scene? Best scene. Uh, best scene. I am going to go with, and, and this may not be the right answer, but I'm going to go with the with the glass in the foot coming out. I know it's not a blow-up. I know it's not a you know phenomenal action-y scene, but you just, you can feel i mean as far as as someone selling a scene or or something happening in a movie 
I mean, you don't get sold any harder than that. Yeah. And I mean, that to me, that just, oh, and just the despair and the hopelessness and the situation he's in and the bidding he's taken. Yeah, that's that's going to be the scene I stick with. So, Jamie, what, what's the what's the right answer? That wasn't it. That's a good one, though. The second best scene, because you won't even get the ending of the second best scene. Oh. The second best scene is when he jumps off the rooftop. Yeah, with the fire hose. Yeah, yeah. that's the second best that's scene. That's a great one. The best scene is that final confrontation between him and Hans Gruber. When he's limp, when he comes into that sort of that weird hallway, it's a little bit like, I think it was fire behind him, mm-hmm. and he's kind of in the shadows. You can see him dragging that bloody foot down the hall. Yeah. It's just like he's this, you know, really beat up cowboy coming to the last gunfight. Yeah. That confrontation. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. That, that confrontation is by far the, the best scene in the movie. And I guess with it being the, the you know, one of the climactic end scenes there, um, you know, I just kind of went went back a little bit. But yeah, as far as being sold something, the, the glass scene. But yeah, the, the confrontation between him and... And, and, and it's emotionally uh, and powerful. And Hans Gruber really, you see the stakes. This you really see the stakes on the table. Yeah, and and you can see how much Hans Gruber has come to hate John McClane. Oh yeah, he is jacking up his six hundred and seventy-five million dollars in Barra bonds. Yeah, yeah. And what was it with Barra bonds in the eighties? I mean, Beverly I know, Hills, man. Beverly Hills Cop Two, is all about the Barra bonds. Yeah, it's, it seems like there was either those bearer bonds or it was like gold bricks. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it was, was the, the one or the bricks. other. Nobody was just getting bags of cash in the 80s. It had to be something, you I, know, different. I need some bearer bonds. <laughs> if anyone knows where we can get some bearer bonds, uh, please uh, you know, that would send be an a, email a, to. <laughs> that would be a fun little novelty gift for fans of Die Hard to get like like – Bear bonds with like Hans Gruber's face on them or something. I mean, not even Die Hard. I mean, you've got the movie Heat. They're stealing Bear bonds at the beginning of the movie Heat. You got Beverly Hills Cop Two. They're stealing Bear <laughs> bonds. Die Hard. I mean, I don't even know what else. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's a great little side note. So <laughs> let's just go from there. Uh, next up, we have Best Line. Okay, I've got a weird one here. It's one that just makes me laugh. Okay, you you go with your weird one because I'm going to go ahead and just just. Uh, well, I was Captain Obvious just, on the best scene. You know, I won't be Captain Obvious here, but you go ahead with the weird. One. Let's see what you got. So we, we, we so we mentioned earlier that that the head cop Dwayne T. Robinson was this pompous <laughs> jerk. Well, there's this scene though where he's kind of gotten a little like unhappy with how the FBI agents have kind of upstaged him, like from the minute they showed up. Yeah. Well, they get killed. And then he looks to his left to Al Powell and goes, we're going to need more FBI agents. <laughs> it's like there's a dispenser around the corner. <laughs> I just love the line and I love the delivery of the line. It's great. We're going to be commandeering some of your men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got those lines. You've got, you know, I've got a machine gun. You know, you've got just so many great, great things. Gonna need more guys. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me pick myself up off the floor from laughing here. Oh, yeah, that's that's one of the great ones in there. But you know, I'm I'm gonna go with, you know, the Yippie Kaye. Yeah. Then we'll just leave it at that. It's iconic. Yeah, it's it's iconic. I mean, you cannot. You cannot see this movie or think of this movie without thinking that line. There, there, is, there is one I thought And of. Alan Rickman's delivery of it. Because yeah, they true. say it to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there was one that landed on me for the first time. I'd never really caught it before. Like how funny a line it was. Right after Alan Rickman kills Takagi, he comes back and is like kind of like being kind of like <laughs> a little bit menacing to the whole group of the corporation. And he just kind of casually mentions that Mr. Tagagi won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Yeah. And just that kind of subtle menace. It was a really good line. Well, when you have a voice and a delivery that Alan Rickman had, Mr. Takagi. I mean, I mean, he's just so cool. But, I, but I'd never caught before this watch. Yeah. How menacing that menacing. line was. And just, just careless. Yeah. Like, you know... This is just the way it is. But I can't, I can't. I have to go with. Yeah. We're going to need more FBI, <laughs> need more FBI guys. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to do some. Oh, that's um, great. 
opposite what's the, what's the opposite of a word a d ward i don't a, know a d ward um worst character cuz there's a lot of them <sighs> in this thing who's who's your least likable you know, jerk or whatever in this movie you know i'm going to go with a tv reporter even though i know i'm going to go with a tv reporter he was just so slimy and dirty going out to their house yeah tell him the maid he's going to call uh, you know, immigration. He bullied the nanny. Taking the, yeah, taking the kids to the crime scene. And he, he, he manipulated the kids too. I mean, yeah, you, yeah it's not cool. Yeah, totally horrible, horrible yeah. person. Yeah, and, and every scene he's in, he's being a jerk. So when you first meet him in the TV station, he's, he's being, being a, jerk. a jerk. He goes and when he, when he, you know, comes to the crime scene, bad stuff happens. He keeps, he keeps saying, did you get, get that? Did you get that? Get that? Every scene is unlockable. My first instinct, I agree with you. He's the, he's the right answer. Um, there's a couple options though. Yeah, there's a few options. My first instinct was Ellis. Yeah, well, that was my first. See, my wife talked me out of Ellis. Really? Yeah, she's like, you know, actually, he's not that bad. I'm like, really? You're gonna have to back that up, okay? Because I hate this dude. Okay, you've got a cokehead trying to sell everybody out. So tell me, tell me a redeeming quality. And here. he's got one of those highly punchable faces. You just, <laughs> I mean, but so my, it's, it's made for a fist. It really is. <laughs> it's got a fist shaped face. Um, but but she talked me out of it. She said, you know, when, when he, cause she said, it's for very good reason. She had a point and I changed my answer. So when he's trying to talk to Hans Gruber and to talk him out of this and he's, and he lies and says that McLean is his friend. He, and when they start threatening him, he had every chance to sell out Holly. Yeah. And he never does it. He lets himself get killed before he says that McLean's wife's in the other room. Well, even a broke clock is right twice a day. <laughs> Redeeming so moment. That though. that that could be yeah, that could be one of the things that he, you know, his his clock is broken, and that was one of the right things yeah. that he fell on. He yeah. got the number two. He's still the like the next most unlikable yeah. person. The reporter. He one. was pretty pretty scummy though. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But um Jamie, I mean, we've got the awards, we've got the D award. Now for the most important part of the show. <laughs> well, you're selling it. I mean the hinge that our doctrine and mission statement here at nerds of the round table hinge on, you know, just, just, just the paradigm of, of our existence as entertainment. <laughs> Where is Keanu in this movie? Where's I, the connection here? I did pitch Dwayne on renaming our show, keeping up with Keanu. <laughs> he didn't go for it, but so I, I this week I have a prepared statement. I'll, I'll throw that out to the uh, to the board of directors <laughs> and uh, lawyers and see what we can find out. So I have a prepared statement. So after the release of Die Hard, there was a huge rush to make the next Die Hard. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with a bunch of Die Hard on a blank movies. <laughs> the best of these was Die Hard on a Bus, which featured breakout performances by Sandra Bullock and Jeff Daniels. But it starred one of the greatest thespians of our age. The great Keanu Reeves. And there is the Keanu connection. Speed. Yes, this was. And yeah, you really did have a lot of. Die hard on a plane. Yeah. Die hard on a bus. What, what situation? Yeah, what yeah. situation can we put these guys in? Because you had this in a building. Yeah. You know, normally, normally your action movies were in a jungle, in a war scene, yeah. all over the city. And this is confined to a building. Now you can find him to a bus. You can find him to a boat. You can find him to a car. You know, yeah. it's really, really a. Did. I guess that could be the legacy too. You know, it really did change yeah. uh, how these action it movies were made. Get on every man, trap him. I mean, that yeah. was the, it became the new paradigm. Yeah, this is true. And you know, the top is like you said, the top of guys. You don't have Keanu in a movie. Yeah. You don't have Keanu in a movie without Bruce Willis first being. Which but, I don't refer to as speed. It's just die hard on a bus. Die hard on a bus. This, <laughs> this is true. Well, and you know, like we said too. I know we said it jokingly, but die hard on a boat was speed too. Yeah. Keanu yeah. wasn't even willing to be in. Well, I mean, we all have, you know, we all have our moments. I saw Speed 2 and I'm blaming him. Yep. <laughs> we all have our moments. So next up, we are going to hopefully uh, sell something to you guys. Uh, open your eyes to something in pop culture. Maybe you've missed. Maybe something new. Maybe something just around the corner uh, that we have uh, enjoyed in the past or maybe even are enjoying now uh, we're going to pitch to each other in 100 seconds something book movie video game tv show that 
has meant something to us, and we're going to give ourselves 100 seconds to do it. Jamie, uh, I see what you've got laying over there, and I'm going to let you go first because it looks amazing. And so if you will let me know when you're ready to begin, I will start the timer. I'm ready. And go. Okay, it's a comic book series called Rai. It's spelled R-A-I. Sorry about the accent. Um, It's written by Matt Kent and painted by Clayton Crane. It's published by Valiant. And yes, I said painted. Um, It's not traditional comic book art. And it is beautiful. It is. It is fantastic. And the art in this series, I I love the story, but the art is amazing. Um, But the story is, it's set in the year 4001 AD. And the setup of the story is, there was a, a being named Father. I can't tell you more than that. It'll ruin it. There's a being named Father who took over Japan and launched Japan into near-Earth near orbit. And so Japan is now orbiting Earth. And he's, he's turned it into this beautiful but totalitarian society. He runs it with an iron fist. It's really nice. It's entertaining. Everybody's got food, all that kind of jazz. But it's being watched over with an iron fist. And he's created this guardian named Rai. And Rai is this kind of human, kind of AI kind of computer character who can just appear through any technology in New Japan. He can disappear and appear anywhere. He has these kind of strange powers and a rebellion begins. And and Rai begins to question the nature of his society and his relationship to his father. Hmm. It's awesome. And it's it's kind of a nice thing for um, uh, people who who aren't comic book readers. It's not, there's no, there's no tights and capes. Um, it's not your traditional sort of comic book story, so it's an easy way in for comic books. Rye by Matt Kent. Five, four, three, two, one. And you did it. Yay, you did it. I was worried about that one. Yeah, um, and seeing the, the book uh, you brought it, I'm really glad you did. It is absolutely Gorgeous. I think my first words when I seen the first few pages, like, well, I want to watch this as a movie. You know, uh, I'm not a big reader just right now, just for time reasons. Uh, I I loved growing up reading novels and and comics and all that. But here at this point in my life, man, this is absolutely gorgeous. It is one of the best looking things I've ever seen. Yeah, it it is. Um, Comic book. I mean, it's art on the wall. Yeah, uh, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Visually stunning. Um, listen, I don't even know if you want to bother starting the timer <laughs> for mine. I'm going to give you my keeping at 108 words. If you want to go ahead and start it just to see how long it I, takes. I want to see how long it takes. Okay. Let okay. me know. Three, two, one, go. Netflix, The Christmas Chronicles. Kurt Russell is Santa. That was nine words. <laughs> nine words in seven seconds. <laughs> The Christmas Chronicles. Kurt Russell is Santa Claus. That's all I'm going to say. It's on Netflix. I know the holiday is just past. Please, if you haven't watched it, put your Christmas tree back up, put the wreath on the door, and and watch the Christmas Chronicles. Well, um, Dwayne uh, sent me a, a text message earlier this week. It just said, now, have you seen the Christmas Chronicles? I wrote back, like, nah, I he goes, Kurt Russell Santa. I think I forgot. I wrote like some really you short. You wrote like, back and said you had me at Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at hello. You had me at Kurt Russell. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you something. It's not Kurt Russell portraying Santa Claus. It's just Kurt Russell being <laughs> Kurt Russell dressed as Santa Claus. It, it, one of the few family friendly. It is family friendly. One of the few family friendly Christmas movies that you'll ever see with Santa in a car chase. Okay. Okay. That, that's that's all I'm going to say. That's I would love to see Kurt Russell say. in a Santa suit driving the Pork Chop Express. <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> after after you see this movie, I'm sure that you could probably get online and find some fan art. Uh, knowing fan art, uh, the way the things that I've seen with some fan art, I would not doubt it. Uh, but yeah, and and the character's not far off. His characterization of Santa is <laughs> not Santa. far That's off. Great. Yeah, it's not far off. I'm surprised he didn't have a throwing knife in his boot. <laughs> Okay, so that that's our that's our show for the week. But before we leave, um, we want to do two things. We always pitch our next quest. 
um, this time. But this time it needs a little explanation. So, Dwayne, we've got kind of a big project next year. Would you explain what we're doing? Well, we uh, have already done our Star Wars survey. And uh, we kind of want to do that as a setup for our upcoming... We totally had ulterior motives. Yeah, we totally had motives. Uh, we want to do that as a setup for what we've got coming up this year. Now, this year is going to be the release... Of Star Wars Episode Nine, the which, end of the Skywalker saga, which is going to be supposedly Disney uh, and Lucasfilm is selling it as the end of the Skywalker saga, the end of the sequel trilogy, wrapping up all of these new characters uh, that they've established. What we're going to do, we're going to take all of the Star Wars movies, episodes one through nine. We're going to end up with episode nine. We're going to take Rogue One. We're going to take Solo. We're going to take the Hollywood, the the, the, the holiday special. Uh, well, it's. <laughs> I know we've got. A, I know we've got a couple open spots in the schedule. Wish you could have seen Dwayne's face. Let's. Uh, okay, I think we're starting to run out of time, so let's just go ahead and <laughs> start to wrap this up. No. Um, I'm not saying it's not on the table, but uh, no, want, it's not on the table. I, I want some. Uh, it's not on the table. <laughs> um, I, I still want to have some fans at some point <laughs> when we get done with this. But yeah, what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to take episodes one through nine, including Rogue One and Solo, and we're going to do a review of those leading up to episode nine. Now, to keep from doing it in one big clump, we're going to kind of sprinkle it throughout the year. And the way uh, that Jamie has worked wonders with a tentative schedule i mean he's a miracle worker folks it looks like we're going to be hitting about a movie per month uh, we may shuffle that around a little bit uh, with one special event i think in april yeah i think there i think we're having a special thing happen there in april and uh you know it's it's just going to be a ton of fun i'm looking forward to diving into these movies we we're talking to some people about getting some special guests on maybe a couple of these uh I'd really just like to get Jamie's take on some of them because I know he's not a huge prequel fan. I know uh, he, he's got some bones to pick there. And I know some of the, the uh, decisions that we've made on placing these uh, is kind of uh, seasonal as well. And uh, so we're going to start off our next episode, which will be our first episode in January or second episode in January. I think. It'll be the first episode in January. First episode in January. Okay. Uh, we're going to start off with episode one. Uh, the Phantom Menace. So uh, I know a lot of folks are having some Jar Jar hate. Um, I know a lot of folks have some really strong opinions about this movie, but hey, we're going to start here and we're going to go our way through. We're just going to take them chronologically story-wise. Um, so hope you guys uh, will, will join us for that. If you need a refresher, hopefully this gives you a chance or an excuse to break out uh, in episode one viewing at some point. And uh, hope to see you guys then. And uh, I'd like to also remind you guys, please, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. Leave us a rating review. Follow us on Instagram at RoundTableNerds2. And that is nerds with a K. On uh, Twitter, what are we? On Twitter, we are at Nerds2. Our email is RoundTableNerds at gmail.com. And on Facebook, we are Nerds of the Roundtable. And uh, Jamie, what are you going to post up? This episode for your top five. My top five 80s action movies. Mm, top five 80s action movies. Great. Okay, sounds like a ton of fun, guys. So, as always, thank you for listening. Hey, Dwayne. Hey, Dwayne. We're going to need some more FBI guys. We're going to need some more FBI guys.